Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In her two years as Home Secretary, Prissy Patel has cultivated an image as a hardliner on immigration. She's willing to do whatever it takes to secure the country's borders. And dare we say it, take back control. It's right that we go after the criminals, the perpetrators of illegal migration, the perpetrators of exploitation. And also we want to ensure that, quite frankly, our asylum system is not being abused by those, quite frankly, who are not genuine asylum seekers. But with record numbers of migrants crossing the channel this summer, the extent to which she's achieved anything concrete is debatable. For weeks, rumours swirled that she'd lose her job in an imminent cabinet reshuffle. It was thought she may have to hand back her Home Secretary branded anorak and hand over the keys to the Port of Dover. But she's a reshuffle survivor. I know that my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, is working around the clock to ensure that we not only encourage the French to stiffen their, their sinews and stop people making the journey, but we use every possible tactic that is available to us as well. So the PM's faith in her continues. Faith, surely, to pass the brand new Nationality and Borders Bill through Parliament, an overhaul of the UK's immigration system. Does it feel like this is when Pretty Patel's talk will suddenly turn to action? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, sitting in for Manveen Rana. Today, Pretty Patel, turning the tide on the migrant crisis. Few issues over the past decade have been more foundational to the drama of politics across the West than that of illegal immigration. In the UK, immigration and asylum are now polling in the three most important issues to voters. Already this year, there have been 14,500 channel crossings. Politically and electorally, the government's next move has to be a bold one. Nine on board, an inflatable designed for three. The danger of drowning, a risk they're prepared to take. Everything the government has done so far has been chaotic. Shutting the door in their faces isn't going to work. It was one of several boats which came ashore this morning. The police and border force officials ready in what is now a well-rehearsed process. The government need to take a fresh and humane approach to this issue. It's been a problem in the eyes of the government since uh, the early 2000s, really. Matt Dathan is the Home Affairs Editor for The Times, and he's here to guide us through the corridors of the Home Office, past and present, to help us understand how we got here, as well as to give us a behind-the-scenes look into how some of these decisions are being made by Priti Patel's Home Office. It's risen to prominence because of the current administration and the importance that this government gives tackling illegal immigration as it sees it. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a much bigger problem than it has been in terms of the figures and in terms of, some might say, the strain on the taxpayer, but others might say Britain's legal duty to to take in refugees and to take in 
asylum seekers fleeing persecution. So it's really kind of a, a very interesting question, but it's a political question. Yeah, absolutely. And that in itself is interesting, isn't it? Because to some extent, is it politically convenient or perhaps politically necessary for this to be a hot issue for this Conservative government and for this Home Secretary? I think it's particularly politically an issue that they have to at least show that they're trying to combat because of the differing nature of the journeys that asylum seekers are taking. The rise in the number of people crossing the channel in small boats, which is much more of a visible journey. It's much more dangerous. There have been deaths in the last year, sadly. Luckily, very few deaths, but because of the nature of the journey, it's extremely, extremely dangerous. Well, that search and rescue operation, which was taking place just two kilometres offshore from this port, was ended as darkness descended on the English Channel. According to local media reports, two children aged five and eight died, along with a man and a woman. It's reported that the younger child fell into the water and that the woman who died may have been the child's mother. It's also very politically charged because of Brexit for a few different reasons. The current government are obviously leading Brexiteers, Priti Patel, Michael Gove, Boris Johnson, of course, promising in 2016 to end freedom of movement, to tackle immigration as one of the top priorities of the British people. In repeated opinion polls, immigration came in in the top three issues. So for them, what seems to be quite uncontrollable, illegal immigration to be so easily coming into the country via more boats, that is quite a uh, politically charged issue, I think. Let's consider then some perspective. Just sort of compare the early 2000s to where we're at now. I mean, first of all, let's start with the journeys. What were the journeys that asylum seekers, migrants, refugees, what were the journeys they were taking in the early 2000s? Channel crossings have always taken place, but in very, very low numbers. So just to give some context, last year we saw nearly 8,500 people successfully cross the channel. We're already at 14,500 for this year. In 2018, we only saw under a thousand crossings. And in the early 2000s, it was in, in, in the very low hundreds. The nature of the journeys were very much um, hiding the back of lorries. But the main journey for an asylum seeker is to come in by air on a short visa and then to either overstay or somehow be able to get on an airplane as soon as you land and claim asylum. To give an idea of the scale of asylum claims in the last 20 years, it hit a peak in 2002 with 84,000. This fell sharply during the, the Labour years down to 18,000 in 2010. Then it started rising since 2010. In 2019, it hit 35,000. But last year, because of the pandemic, that fell down to 29,000. So that gives you an idea that the number of people claiming asylum in the UK is, is really a fraction of the number of claiming asylum under Tony Blair's government. Yeah, and that's the thing, because that drop from 2002 to 2010 is notable, isn't it? 84,000 to 18,000. Part of that, I think, is also because we opened up the borders to a lot of the Eastern European countries. They were free to come to the UK rather than having to claim asylum. Back in 2001, 2002, Tony Blair as Prime Minister, David Blunkett, Home Secretary, they brought in quite a few proposals that were more radical than we're seeing now. We will neither be Fortress Britain, nor will we be an open house. Where necessary, we will tighten the immigration system so that public support for the controlled migration that actually benefits this country is maintained. Tony Blair as Prime Minister, David Blunkett, Home Secretary, introduced proposals, which never saw the light of day, to 
process asylum seekers on offshore islands to create a deterrent effect for people to come to the UK. Well, they introduced proposals at least to ban the children of asylum seekers from going to school until their asylum claim had been granted. They also introduced the ban on asylum seekers working, which still exists now. They banned them from claiming benefits. So you can build a picture of how David Blunkett was actually a much more radical thinking on, on this area than even the current administration. That's so fascinating because I think that often would be overlooked. Um, you know, you see pictures of Priti Patel and her Home Secretary Anna Rack on a raid of a house and you think, goodness me, has anyone ever been as hardline as this? But actually the evidence suggests, yes, the Labour government were. A lot of those proposals got watered down and others got dropped as well because of opposition within the Labour Party. But yes, you can see the the height of new Labour. They had the political kind of leeway that Boris Johnson has now with a big majority, I mean, even bigger majority then, of course. But even they failed to push through some of these more radical measures, even with that, that bigger majority. Is there any way to address the issue at hand here without the perception of hostility? Is dealing with migrants, is it just inevitably going to feel like it is some sort of hostile approach? I think it is for this government, certainly, because this Conservative administration follows the years of the Windrush scandal and the years of the hostile environment created by Theresa May. And there have been a lot of efforts with Sajid Javid as Home Secretary to try and move on from using the, you know, phrases such as hostile environment. But when you are literally trying to deter people from coming to the UK and creating life as hard as possible for illegal immigrants, that is always going to lead to the charge that you're creating a hostile environment for asylum seekers and, and immigrants who are in the UK. I suppose then, with that in mind, Matt, take us into the corridors, the discussions of the Home Office. Are there discussions, are there active discussions there about, I suppose, compassion versus enforcement and the approach that is necessary? Because, you know, some of the things that emanate from Pretty Purcell, they are quite hostile on the face of them. Everybody just says it's the government, as if it's this sort of like bland blob that, you know, you can just go and blame. Local authorities have a role to play. And to the criminal minority, who have subverted this cause with their thuggery, I simply say this. Your behaviour is shameful and you will face justice. So I just wonder how the Home Office sort of differentiates between showing compassion and kindness and, and actually just going all out to, to turn people around in the channel. She would answer it by saying that her immigration plans are firm but fair. That's her slogan. I will introduce a new system that is firm and fair. She always tries to balance the hardline approach she's taken to illegal immigration, whether that be people crossing in small boats or whether it be migrants who are already here illegally. She would always balance that argument. Fair by welcoming people through safe and legal routes, but firm because we will stop the abuse of the system. It's very timely now, of course, with the Afghanistan crisis, but the government, along with these hardline proposals, there are plans to create a new resettlement scheme, a new refugee scheme, which will offer immediate indefinite leave to remain in the UK to people who are in refugee camps across the world. The problem with those is that to be a refugee, you have to have already left the country you are fleeing. They argue that refugees should claim asylum in the first safe country they get to. But of course, geographically, that's often Greece, that's often the Western Balkans. We're going to see global immigration become an even greater problem as every single year we go on with not just climate change, but all kinds of problems across the world causing record high numbers of movement. 
It's really fascinating. I was sort of considering the relationship between Priti Patel and Boris Johnson and how closely connected and aligned their immigration policies are. But I guess in the context of her survival of the recent reshuffle, they must be pretty spot on. She plays very good bad cop to Boris's good cop. Boris Johnson has always been quite liberal on immigration. He used to support an amnesty for illegal immigrants, something that uh, Pretty Patel would hate. You know, Along all of this, I think Boris Johnson is quite happy for Pretty Patel to take the fight to the French, to the Labour Party, to a lot of the charities and campaigners and lawyers who are trying to oppose the radical plans they're putting through Parliament. The message from Prime Minister was crack on and double down on your efforts to combat this, uh, this really growing problem. I'm often struck by the language that's used around this issue and how it's sort of protecting, defending, securing. It's it's all about kind of pointing to security as one big concern. I just wonder in reality how big a security risk migration to the UK actually is, because it's often used as the kind of the defence for why stricter measures are needed. The image of people who we don't know their background, we don't know their, their identity, they obviously don't come through border checks, so we don't know who they are. I think the thought of that is probably something that is politically quite troublesome for the government because you see images on a daily basis during the summer months of often young men arriving on the Kent coast and we don't know who they are. But I think in reality, 99% of people who arrive in the UK across the channel, they go on to claim asylum within hours because that then gives them protection, that gives them an allowance, that gives them accommodation and they can then lodge their asylum claim. And then obviously you you can keep tabs on them. So the ground is set by way of context on this issue. It's one that's persisted for, well, decades now, frankly. Uh, It's one that this government is keen to pursue, crack on and double down. So let's go on to what Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, is planning to do. A political word is probably radical. Um, A real-life word might be mad for some of the proposals on, on how to deal with immigration. You know, things that sort of are reminiscent of parody. Nets in the channel springs to mind. There have been quite a few quite outlandish suggestions, have there not, over the last few years? This all stemmed from a brainstorming session that the Home Office and the Foreign Office instructed officials to go away and you know, think outside the box. This issue hasn't been solved easily in the last few years. We might need to go and think of new ways to deal with this and, and learn from other countries. I mean, the danger is when you tell officials to go and brainstorm ideas and to think outside the box that, of course, mad ideas are always going to come to the fore. We had not just nets, we had the idea of creating a wave machine in the channel to push back boats into French waters. We had the idea of cruise line ships or old ferries being used to process asylum seekers in the channel before they actually get to the UK. We also had the idea that ran and ran about uh, processing asylum seekers offshore, just like uh, David Blunkett proposed. And that is a very still alive idea, but there was an idea of using islands as far away as the Ascension Islands. I think it's about 4,000 miles away. You can see how unviable these kind of ideas were. That was about a year ago, I think, and, and we're now very much at the business end of legislation going through Parliament to give powers for the government to do these ideas, such as offshore asylum processing. But we're still quite far off those ideas actually coming into practice. On to the so-called Borders Bill itself. Its full name is the Nationality and Borders Bill. It was introduced just before the summer recess in July. This flagship piece of legislation is backed by the Conservative Party, but heavily opposed by Labour. The Shadow Home Secretary said, The bill is an attempt to talk tough, but will deliver nothing. So what exactly is it? And are the rumours you may have heard about armoured jet skis 
actually correct. Yeah, that's part of it. It's a massive root and branch review and shake-up of the asylum system in the UK. It's a very wide-ranging piece of legislation and one that I think will get changed immeasurably over the next few months. But at its heart is a principle that the way in which an asylum seeker travels to the UK will have the material effect on their asylum claim. So it creates two different paths and they want to contrast these two paths. So if you arrive in the UK illegally, say at the back of a lorry, or if you come here on the wrong visa on an aeroplane, or if you come across on a small boat, that will affect your asylum claim and you will never be able to apply for indefinite leave to remain. The maximum time you'll be able to apply to be in the UK will be in a temporary protection status of up to 30 months. And after that, your status in the UK will be repeatedly reviewed. That will be creating a hostile environment for that asylum seeker because they will never have the certainty and peace of mind of I'm here, I'm safe now, and this is my future and be able to build a life here. Where is the evidence that these changes will will convince people not to take these routes? I mean, if you're fleeing genocide, if you're fleeing rape gangs, if you're fleeing war, your priority is survival. It, it, It strikes me that the first thing that people will want to do is get away rather than necessarily pop down to the British Embassy. In contrast, they want to make the legal route much more attractive. So if you come to the UK under what Priti Patel terms as a safe and legal route, then you will be given indefinite leave to remain immediately on your arrival. So you'll arrive here, you'll be plucked out of a refugee camp chosen by the government to come here. You will have the certainty of living in the UK. Well, after five years, you can then start applying for British citizenship. So it's creating two very contrasting pathways. Two very contrasting paths to navigate the UK's proposed new asylum system. It makes you wonder just how realistic the proposals put forward in the Borders Bill actually are. We'll find out more after a short message from our friend Jane. Hello, I'm Jane Mulcairns, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. In 2004, Andrew Malkinson went to jail for life after a mother of two was raped by a motorway in Greater Manchester. Was it a miscarriage of justice? I couldn't find a way to demonstrate I was telling the truth and it just got worse and worse. 17 Years, The Andrew Malkinson Story. A new series on the Stories of Our Times podcast with me, Emily Dugan, a reporter at the Sunday Times. Listen on the Times radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. 
The passage through Parliament for a bill of this nature is unlikely to be trouble-free. Of course, it's not the first time a government has attempted immigration policy change. It almost certainly will not be the last. Let's find out how this bill differs from past measures. This bill proposes creating a new offence for people who are found in a small boat or on the back of a, a lorry, for example. If you don't have pre-authorisation to come to the UK, which of course they would not, then you can be prosecuted and face a maximum sentence of up to four years. So this new bill will basically criminalise every single person, technically, who is found in a boat in the channel. At the moment, only the people smugglers can be prosecuted. So that's very contentious because a lot of these individuals are people who have fled persecution and have fled countries where it's become inhospitable for them to live. You're criminalising a whole load of new people. It's going to create quite a lot of strain on the criminal justice system as well. You mentioned the jet skis before. That's going to be another point of contention because the bill gives new powers to border force vessels to redirect boats towards France. Now, there's a lot of aspects to this because... We can't go into French territorial waters without their permission. We can't physically tow back boats without France's permission. What we can do is create the powers for them to do so and, and hope in the meantime that we sort of hammer out a deal with the French that we can return boats to France physically. What they're doing in the meantime before the bill even goes through is to start training border force vessels to turn around boats at the point at which they enter the British waters. So 12 miles out into the channel, Border force boats uh, will be able to block boats and force them, not touching them, but uh, we saw some of the training tactics earlier this week, actually, with three jet skis would zoom towards a boat, surround it and, and force it to turn around. So they're practising what their tactics would be, and you can see they want to try and herd, shepherd them uh, back round, turn them round, get them back on shore. But... This is going to cause a lot of contention because the French have already said it's a breach of international maritime law. The first law of the sea is you help a boat in distress or you have to help and provision of life is the first thing. So if you're going to be forcing a boat 12 miles back towards France and not helping it, that is going to cause a lot of legal challenges, I think. That is so interesting. I wasn't aware of, of the nuances, I suppose, that, you know, the training is kind of happening without perhaps at this point a clear route to actually being able to use some of these tactics. They're trying to basically equip the border force commanders and with the, not just the physical training, but also the legal training. Even the Home Office admit that there's a very tight legal window in which you'd be able to use these tactics currently. And it's not the silver bullet by any means. I think it's actually more of a stunt to try and show the British public that Priti Patel and the Home Office is taking this seriously and is trying to find any kind of mechanism to try and sort of tackle this problem. To me, as somebody who's learning as you talk to us, Matt, it seems obvious that there are lots of issues for the UK and France to work out here. While Priti Patel may be pushing ahead with the Borders Bill and trying to give new powers to the Border Force and new training to the Border Force, actually, a lot of this is going to depend on cooperation with France. Is that looking a likely prospect, do you think? The real solution to all of this, and the Home Office will agree, the Home Secretary will agree, the Prime Minister will agree, is, is getting a deal with the French to take back people who come across the channel in small boats. If an individual knew that by coming to the UK in a small boat or in the back of a lorry, when they are found, detected, they will be returned to France, then over time, there'll be no point to doing it. There'll be no point paying people smugglers anything between 500 to £5,000 to, to make that journey. That's the key, really, to try and get the France to agree to take back migrants. That is not going to happen, and especially before the French presidential election next year. 
Domestically, immigration is one of the main issues in that election. The French interior minister, he himself has said uh, in a letter to Priti Patel that the pressure that immigration and migration from the Middle East and Africa is having on France has never been higher. And that's quite a statement to make considering the Syrian refugee crisis. So you can see the French domestic politics involved here. It makes me want to ask, what does progress even look like then? I think it's uh, progress is in the short, medium and long term. If we divide it into that, in the short term, uh, in July, Priti Patel signed a £54 million deal with France to basically pay for a doubling of the French patrols of the French coastline, uh, as well as providing aerial surveillance equipment to monitor the coastline and also to pay for reception centres more inland in France. So migrants had to travel further to the coast and then it was harder to reach the coast and harder for people smugglers to have access to the migrants who, who want to make that journey. But that is very much a short-term approach to try and sort of boost the French interception rates of the current numbers coming across the channel. Well, in the medium term, I think the Borders Bill, they want it on the statute book to have the powers ready to deploy when they do reach agreements with France and other countries, not only on returns, but on deporting foreign criminals. In the long term, if they cannot reach an agreement with France, then they've got this... Uh, very fascinating reserve proposal, which is becoming more and more salient by the day, which is offshore asylum centres. And if France does not agree to returning migrants, then the government is going to push ahead with trying to find somewhere to process asylum seekers that will make that journey even less attractive because you'll be shipped off to an asylum centre and not on the UK mainland where you will not face anywhere near the kind of conditions that you would at the moment. And where that is, is the big question. There's been proposals to use the Isle of Wight, but you can kind of get the idea that they're sort of, you know, searching around and copying the idea of Australia who process asylum seekers offshore as well on an island in the Pacific Ocean. Shall we go back to the short term then, Matt? And you mentioned the rows over the money that Priti Patel's been throwing around um, in France's direction to try to double patrols, French patrols of the French coastline, and to try to encourage more interceptions, I suppose, of small boats. You mentioned there were rows. Um, where are these rows at now? I know that Priti Patel took quite a hard line approach to this. She was threatening to withhold that money at one point not long ago. Yeah, that's right. Priti Patel um, came back from a summer recess where you know we've seen, I think, three and a half thousand people across the channel in that sort of six-week period and had to sort of come back and give a message to the Tory MPs that she's going to take a tough line approach to the French. She signed this £54 million deal in July. She told MPs in private meetings that she was willing and prepared to pull the plug on that deal and France would not get a penny of that money if they did not up their game and start, quote, delivering results. And she wants the French to intercept at least three and four boats that cross the channel before they get the money. They came back very hard. It was extraordinary. I've emailed and tried to get in touch with the French ministry several times and they're quite slow sometimes getting back to the British press. But this time they were immediate and they, they were furious. They said the deal was not conditional. It was not based on a target or objective. They accused Pity Patel of financial blackmail over this. And it caused a massive diplomatic round and really kind of dented relations with France at a really crucial time, not just on this issue, but many other issues as well. We mentioned short, medium and long term uh, in terms of what progress might be. Would you put a timeline on what those are? You know, is, is it a matter of months in the short term? Is the medium term sort of looking beyond the French presidential election, the long term even beyond that? I don't know. What sort of timescale do you put on these various terms, Matt? So the Nationality and Borders Bill, the government hoped to be on the statute book by the spring and they hope that will give the border force the powers they need before next summer's 
rush. I mean, I was looking at the figures since that row broke out and the French have, uh, surprise, surprise, intercepted a much larger number of boats. The Home Office said when it comes to the money, the French always prick up their ears and they always start performing when money's on the line. I'm sure that's true of all governments, not just France. In terms of any meaningful medium-term deal, it will be after the French presidential elections. In the long term, Priti Patel and Boris Johnson won't be in government, so it will depend who will be in government after that. Let's imagine that offshore asylum centres are have been set up. Reception centres in the UK have been set up as well to house asylum seekers while they wait to be shipped off to these offshore asylum centres. And there's a streamlined process for people appealing their rejected asylum claims. And then, say, Keir Starmer comes in as Prime Minister, it'd be absolutely fascinating to see if he reforms or changes or repeals many of the changes that this administration has brought in, because I'm sure he would not, because it would be very unpopular with the British public. So it seems safe to say that at the next UK general election, which will be at the latest uh, in May 2024, that this will still be one of the dominating issues of that general election. Gosh, uh, making any prediction in British politics is uh, is dangerous. But I think if we are seeing the rate of channel crossings as high as they are now, then I think immigration will be a big issue at the next election. And it'll be a very different issue compared to the Brexit referendum or the 2015 general election, which was very much about immigration in terms of freedom of movement and EU immigration. In just, in just five years, we've moved on to a debate about very different kind of immigration, haven't we? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald, and my guest this episode was the Home Affairs Editor of The Times, Matt Dathan. You can find all of Matt's work, if you're a Times subscriber, online at thetimes.co.uk, or you can pick it up in print. The producer was Oliver Adamson, the executive producer today was Asia Fuchs, and sound design was by Vulcan Kiseltuk. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or any thoughts and feedback and criticisms on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk and I will see you again soon.